the Tenuous Links podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, welcome back for another Tenuous Links golf podcast. It is indeed the home of Golf Barons, now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO and Foxtel On Demand. Make sure to Series Link Season 2 so you don't miss a thing, and check out Season 1 if you haven't seen that yet. Now, on to today's podcast. We'll be dealing with all things Open Championship as the game's oldest major heads back to Royal St George's for the first time in a decade. And as always, the game's tallest short hitter is here to join me as we dissect all the way through it. Hello, Filter. Yeah, it's good to be here. And our special guest today, former caddy to the stars, Dion Kipping. Kipper, welcome back. G'day, lads. And super coach. Oh, yeah. Don't forget that. And one of the great coaches. In fact, one of the great, co- a generational coach, a once in a generation, is the Pete Cowan <laughs> of golf in Australia. I, there's every, every time that anyone amongst this company says something nice about me, you, it's you know it's it's not it's not well a you know it's not legitimate, and then b you know you're waiting where that's going to be used down the track against you. So thank you, Philip, uh, and I'm ready for the whack. No worries, you're talking too much. Back to your shooter. Before we kick things off uh, about the Open Championship proper. We need to, well, I think we deserve to give ourselves a little pat on the back this week, gentlemen. Um, since Philly, this is mostly you and I, because Kipper doesn't listen to our podcast, but <laughs> since we, um, a couple of weeks back, since we savaged Australian golf and the spirit and desire of our um, of our current crop, a few weeks back this was, they've listened to our stern message and they've got their act into gear. And uh, we've seen a handful of Aussies win across a range of tours in the past few weeks. We had uh, Cam Davis with, with Andrew Shuden on the bag, which was which was great to see at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. We had Lucas Herbert salute the Irish, the Irish Open. Open. Steph Kiriakou won on the Ladies European Tour. and Who, by the way, is an absolute jet. I mean, if sponsors are not scrambling to get behind Steph, she, she is everything that we love about the game. She is honest and bubbly and alive. And if sponsors are not scrambling to to support her, then they should be ashamed of themselves. Yep, absolutely. And then we also had Minwoo Lee salute the uh, Scottish Open just just last week. So, congratulations to um to us for putting the fire up there collective asses, <laughs> no, Philly. Um, now, well done. Now, what I'll say, what I'll say is that you were very aggressive on the state of Australian golf. Oh. Well, this is not factual, and we have some feedback to confirm you were that that's very, not the case. You were very aggressive. But in reality, what where the discussion was, and I'm glad that we were able to prompt a greater performances, um, because in reality, <laughs> where it came from was where are we performing under the, the most intense spotlight, which is the majors. But what I will say is Lucas Herbert um, has been building in momentum, and in fact, a number of times, including in that podcast in question, we spoke about how good Lucas Herbert was, how good Cam Davis was and Minwoo Lee and the next genera and the next generation. But what was interesting is I, I saw a quote, or in fact it was almost a hashtag about the international president's cup team, a generation next, that that had Minwoo Lee and Cam Davis and Lucas Herbert as the here we go, here we go. Uh, poor old Cam Smith gets forgotten pretty quick because he's a year under a year older than Cam Davis, but all of a sudden because he's been on tour for a long time, he's you know, not no longer part of that next 
generation. Um, but we've always said, look, Cam Davis and Mark Leishman, who's going to come and support them? And I think really what we're saying is that it'd be nice to see Jason Day in Australia once every 15, 20 years. Okay, Philly. And we did receive some feedback as you your wheels are screeching as you backpedal there. Uh, we have a we had an email from Ben from Hollywell. He's he's written in asking Phil to stop bashing Australian golf pros and stop comparing them to South Africans. And here's what he here's what he said. And I'll quote I'll quote from uh, Ben from Hollywell. Grumpy Phil. And by the way, there's there's your new nickname. Whack. Grumpy Phil should stop sledging our boys on their lack of winning. Although the last couple of weeks have been good for us. This year, we've seen Leishman and Smith win the Zurich. Smith earning 4.325 million US year to date on the PGA Tour. Leishman, 3 million US. Cam Davis, 2.5 million. Matt Jones, 2.4 million. Even Jason Day, 1.3 million. And Cam Percy, 700. I thought he was talking about Australians. That's a good annual. Hang on, let me finish, Phil. That's a good annual income by any measure. I challenge Phil to knock their successes of earnings versus success on the victory podium on just one tour, by really? the way. Really? Well, so over to you, over to you, Philly, for a but. And just, I do want to note that I wasn't mentioned once in that. It was you and your <laughs> angry ranting about poor old Aussies that has got yourself into this pickle. Over to you. And you know what's fascinating about that, Ben, is that if we go back to the podcast planning meeting and Shooter saying, here's what I want to lead with. Anyway, but, but I tell you what, if we're going to define someone by prize money, this is actually half the issue. If we're going to define someone, Ben, by prize money, not by success, and success as a professional golfer must be wins, not cuts made. And one of the issues that we have with professional tennis and professional golf is when the 100th tennis-ranked player in the world makes $2 million a year and the 100th-ranked golf pro in the world makes $2 million a year, we have a significant issue because they can be comfortable and this eye of the tiger, this this desperation, am I willing to do what it takes to move from being good, which is making cuts, to being great, which is winning events? And I know there's a limited number of events available on the tour, but as Kipper, our friend over there, um, would say when it comes to Badley, he's made crap tons of money, Ben, but has he achieved his goals, Ben, so if it's okay with grumpy, you, young man, Phil is living up to his name. I will not ever allow. I actually do agree with what most of what you said, though. But I will not allow prize money to. You know, what I'd love. I'd love Phil, right, perched up in question time <laughs> in Canberra, right? Because at the end of his speech, no one would know what he actually was trying to say. <laughs> Because he, he, he actually puts arguments up against himself while arguing no, for you, himself. Kipper. Now, what I think you said there was <laughs> you, you uh, don't think the prize money rates and they should be winning more, is that No, right? what, I, what I believe is that we are making too much mo- Too many people are making too much money without victory being the goal. <laughs> not, not, so if we're going to define... If we're going to define a, a CEO's success based on how much their pay packet is as opposed to the job they do, then we're... We're stuffed. So from a golf point of view, if I'm going to define whether they've had a good year based on purely based on how much money they've made as opposed to what their goal is, because, Ben, if they're seeking out every week to just make money, then we're, we're discovering that golf and, and being the best that they can in the field is probably not the go. If they seek victories, the money will follow. Process, yeah, Kipper... Grumpy yes, Phil, you but, are going but, to love but, my game changer this week. But I think, yeah, you know, to, to be fair, the the money is used, or the FedEx Cup points, whatever ranking system or world ranking, if that's what you want to, you know, judge a player by their success. Um, it's just a way of putting a figure 
or, or a number next to their achievements. Now, wins are hard to come by. Everyone out there is trying to win. There's no doubt about that. Um, your point, Philip, as far as I can take it, is they you're hoping that they are hungry and you're hoping that they're not being complacent. Is I, that, I would that hate to correct? think that we're going to pat someone on the back for making two million a year, being 100th in the world, when they could have, like Norman yeah. used to say, if my number one competitor is hitting 1,000 balls a day, I need to hit 1,100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, I, like I, I think you know, in a lot of ways, um, there's some cred there with what Benny's saying. There, there is definitely um, a bunch of Australians doing very well on the world stage. The point to yours, Phil, where is you know where's our next generation coming from? Before they all won in one week, um, it is also kind of uh, got some merit because there's so many tours now around the world that people are playing these tours and playing quite well, but they're not getting the notoriety or they're not thrown in your face as much as probably they used to be where really all you ever saw was one or two tours. Now there's a billion like different events. And, and so I, I just also think that um, I suppose that the learning of, of a new player and, and following that new player is a little bit harder these days than it used to be. Because um, example, like, like the last week, I think it was what shoot. I think it was five or four Aussies. It wasn't just three that, that, that won in that. that well, Lewis Doblar also won the, the North South, Amateur um, in yeah, the US. So, yeah. so keep it to your point. And, and I think there was another. I actually agree with what you're saying. I really do agree. With, and Ben, yes, we were whacking them because it was following the the um, US Open. It was kind of we always talk up a big game, and but where are we? And why do the South Africans continue to? To, to be fair, we were whacking uh, the top end of town, Phil. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were because, in fact, we said they were flushes. But there's a point where we. They need to. They need to perform. They need to. It needs to result in better performances. Well, I, I, I mean, that's a feel. The reality is, is that Minwood Lee is like he's, he's at twenty two, young super jet. And and if you actually listen back to all our podcasts, not just the one where we happen to bag Australian players and, and ask where the gap was. Well, you did. Uh, you did uh, on you your did. request. Um, so Minwood Lee at twenty two. Grumpy Phil. So we got Minwood Lee at twenty two. Lucas Herbert, who's coached by the super coach Dom as a party up in Queensland. At, at 25, Cam Davis at 26 and 27. And then there's a discussion, Kipper, about, you know, Lewis Doblai, great amateur. And there are a number of really good pros. So to your point, we can't, we don't hear about them. Right, we don't hear about them. Not, so now not, what is not, the not problem? As, is that not Golf Australia's part of their edict is to make sure we know, like rather than just having a few people win and saying, oh, golden era, golden era. We spoke mm. about the golden mm. era of golf last year in Australian golf and, and it hadn't got a hashtag mention again until they all won in the last few weeks, golden era. No, and, and I think like this, I think this is deep seated to be honest, because it c- comes back to the entire issue with the Australasian tour and the the, the lack of events in a row um, or lack of tour in, in a lot of ways. Um, that used to be uh, when I was young, which is 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> um, that used to be the only kind of thing I knew. Really was like I can't wait for the Australian tour, and you got to know so many of the players over that you know two month stretch or three month stretch. Of of, um, of tournaments back when the summer yeah. of golf was actually played in the summer. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, exactly right. And and because um, you know now there's, there's so much more uh, connectivity around the world with the internet and everything, you can view different tours. But it also makes it a bit harder to follow you know your your, you know, your beloved Aussies because that was most of the field here in Australia. So yeah, I think it's uh, look. I don't know. I, I agree with Benny. I think it's a good way to, to judge them. But I also think, Phil, you, I understand where you come from. The uh, the victories are, are what really matter. But they're certainly out there trying to do it. They're not getting complacent. No, I, and I've never questioned, and we have not 
questioned, as Damo said, we've never questioned desire. It's actually just more about output. And then and then they do have these wins. And Lucas Herbert has been building. And yes, it's a bit a bit of backpedalling. But we got the job done. Um, Cam Davis, um, one, flush it. Two, because, again, a man about town, two, he's on his bag. Um, we know that he's got a good caddy and it's a good it's a really good combination. Um, Minwoo Lee was always destined to be to do great things, and I think in reality, winning something as big as the Scottish Open is probably an early win for him. With the only thing I'll say to that is that you then say, "Well, Matt Wolf's been around a long time, uh, and he's twenty-two, um, and I know the US just produces a greater mass of players." And then you look at some of the young guys coming through from South Africa. So, I'm, so what we're doing is we're actually parking the Smiths and the Leishmans and these guys, saying. Where's the next 21, 22? And it's Minwoo Lee. But who else is? I mean, Mav Ancliffe is going okay, but they're all going okay. And then you've got a guy like Jason Scrivener who battles his ass off and gets no media, no publicity at all, yet he's competing on. Oh, we've, we've spoken about him a fair bit. Yeah, other than from us, because we love these guys who fight and, and fight and fight and fight. Anyway, yeah. So really good point, Ben. I'm gonna. Uh, I've given myself an uppercut. Anyway, so that the the key takeaway from all of that is that grumpy Phil. Oh, I don't know why you guys kept drawing. That's all I wanted to get out there. Grumpy. Um, but Phil. what I will say is that we love the feed. We love the feedback. And if you if you don't like everything else that I say, please let us know because we will address it. And Ben, you have won on this occasion. And, and not only that, Ben is an instant fan of Ben because <laughs> yeah, right. he's he's literally called you out and nailed you. <laughs> Or if you do have anything that you want to uh, let us know about it, tell us how ordinary we are. Swagger <laughs> at golfbarons.com. Hang on, I also got some feedback following your last. Following oh, Phil's got some feedback. Uh, All right. On, on our side, I, I feel like he's making I'm not, this up. I'm not on the making spot. it up. Yeah. And, and this was a simple question that was from uh, a, a female listener to the podcast, which was um, You spent a lot of time banging on about inclusivity in your last podcast, but I noticed there wasn't a female voice on it. It was a really good point. We just don't have the money to afford good talent. Anyway. Okay, boys, let's move on to the Open. Uh, let's start with the court. So back at Royal St. George's, it's the 15th time uh, it's it's been at Royal St. George's, which is in Sandwich. Uh, last time we saw Darren Clark win in 2011, lift the Claret Jug. This is also the home of Norman's second win, wasn't it? 93. He won that at 13 under over Faldo. Hunted Faldo um, down. He did. Destroyed him. What did he shoot? 64 or something, didn't he? Or? 64 in the last round. That was when he was in awe of himself. Before we go too far into the history and, and whatnot of, of Royal St. George's, I just want to touch base on the prize money at the Open. So back when Norman won it, it was £100,000 for the win, which is nothing to scoff at at all. And then by the time Darren Clark won it in 2011, it had been raised to £900,000. And this year, the winner will take home £1.935 million, which is roughly $3.6 million Aussie or, or $2.7 million US. So it got me thinking about players. Do, do players really earn their paycheck? Oh. Is that what we're actually seeing at the moment? Like this, Over that period of time, the prize money has gone up a hell of a lot. Is Norman's win not as not worth as much as... as um, Darren Clarks, etc., or the guys this year. So, as it stands, the prize money doesn't take into account many of the things uh, in golf that I think it should. It doesn't take how many shots under the card they finished, the margin of the win, how difficult the course is, and a whole range of, of other factors. And we, we're always hearing players say they're they're playing the course and not the field. Um, it's almost become that really rather tired 
cliche these days. So I think it's time, you're going to love this, Phil, time to make them more accountable for all of that. And I've thought of a way, uh, a game changer, if you will, to make the game... This would want to be good. It's had a hell of a lead up. More more exciting for the spectators and more nerve-wracking for the players at the same time. And I call this my guts for dough payment scheme. So in short, the more adventurous and ballsy you are, the bigger the reward you get. You like mm-hmm. that? No. No. <laughs> well, well the way, okay, it's because you don't quite understand it. So the way, no, the way in which it, no, the way in which no, it no. would play out... Well, instead of just having a guaranteed sum for the winning, for the, for the number one prize, the, the aforementioned factors, so the, um, the margin, the score, the difficulty, etc., they're all factored into what the player ultimately receives if they win. So you choose to lay up on the 72nd hole and protect your lead, fine. It's bloody boring golf and it'll cost you £100,000. <laughs> At the moment, the winner's check is the maximum a player can win. And then along the way, along the, along the four rounds, there's little depletions along the way. Um, I think it's magnificent, Phil. It'll add a little bit more for the spectators, a little bit, a little bit more pressure on the players. In fact, I'd even go as far as to incorporate the Uber Baron's ranking system into these calculations. Don't besmirch the Uber Baron's ranking no, system with this. the majors. The more money you get, more money for being a good playing partner as well, for being a good bloke. Do not a fold shit. a great idea into a crap idea like this. So what you're suggesting is that John Vanderveld, had he actually jagged the win was on track mm-hmm. to win 18 billion pounds. Everything. He would have won all You're the prize money. to get it. Because he provided us with so much entertainment and stuff that we'd still be talking about it today. I'm telling you, Phil, you, you, don't, even, you don't even give it a no. moment's thought. It's, it's, Kipper, it's quite hurtful. Did you give it a moment's thought? <laughs> Half a one. Well, there was a moment and about 10 million more moments in the lead up to the thought, and then there was a small thought. <laughs> um, uh, no, I tell you what I do like about that though, Dave. So I remember a story about um, Mo Norman, the famous uh, ball striker, a Canadian, that he would be leading a tournament coming down the stretch, and because it, you know, he's obviously extremely eccentric and whatnot, he, he used to hit balls in bunkers and putt balls off greens on purpose so that he then had to test himself to get up and down and blah, blah, blah. Should that not be paid? Should that not be gonna, rewarded, that form of entertainment? Say, you know I'm right here, boys. Yeah, but the best part is, on your ranking system, he'd be just, it'd be like you know, driving Mario Kart and pulling off the side and hitting a, a road sign. He'd just be <laughs> racking up money left, right and centre. By the time he finished in the tournament, he'd be about four billion dollars richer. That would be that. that Actually, as you say that, Kipper, you know the only person who would actually really enjoy, or there's two people who would really enjoy. Well, Phil would enjoy your new method, should it? Because I think it's really crap. And if we don't get an email from Ben, I'm going to be very disappointed. (laughs) I'm going to write in. But that's Mo Norman and Seve. You're going to have to learn how. I mean, it's actually it would just be Mo Norman and Mo Norman with the advertising hoardings behind the tees would actually be trying to ricochet the ball off them on purpose. Seve would just have to deal with the fact that he'd hit them accidentally and then get out of trouble. Um, I, 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 it encourages more exciting play. I, I just can't. I, I, I'm, you know what? After this week... Well, I think the supporters of re- real supporters of golf would be behind it, not you guys mm. just protecting your overpaid mates. It, it, <laughs> well, and it's also... It brings into another conversation where, like, you know how basketball, you've got the <laughs> three-pointer and so on and so forth. Well, instead of the money, you could be hitting things, which then deducts your score. So if you're trailing by four going down the okay. last, there's a, there's a chance you can We you need can to move on. So, so here's what we do. We need to move on from this, and I'll tell you why, Kipper. I'll tell you why that's oh, ridiculously yeah. stupid, what you've just I'll said. Tell you, I'll is that Dave proposed well. it? 
um, in a podcast last year that why he proposed this that you should be able to have a shot into a green and if you hit the branch of the tree to the right, it t- takes one shot off. Or if you bounce it off the T-sign, it... You, yeah, completely different to it's what not, I'm it's the, for here, Phil. And you have, really haven't paid any attention. It's the same just crap, and people would enjoy it if we just moved on. Idea. Now, St Andrew South, Royal St George's, um, first mm. course outside of Scotland to host the Open. Um, and it was called St Andrew South. Uh, well, not really, but it's St Andrew South. Um, it, it looks magnificent. Have you ever been there, Kipper? No, I In fact, I really enjoyed, I know you haven't, because I really enjoyed your message saying, I've never been to Royal St George's, at least I don't think I have, <laughs> which I, which explains yeah. your life when you well, went to Europe. <laughs> I was going to say, that I had a lot of lot of off weeks in Europe um, where we where we, we emceed and uh, therefore the weekends were long <laughs> and the weeks were short. So I, I don't really uh, recall a lot of Europe. Um, so the courses I've missed, there could be lots. Um, but no, I've never been to Royal but St George's. But it, it does, the, the course itself looks... Um, just phenomenal and, and this idea of is it easy hard should it to your point the winner this week will have picked up their money and will have earned it because it will be entertaining golf and we're going to have 32,000 people a day to be able to reinforce that fact mm. and not only that like there's no open course in the history of open courses that's been easy I would have thought <laughs> I don't think I would have broke 100 any, any of them so no they, they're all great tests of golf they really are the weather will play a part at some point um, and the course will munch you at some point but it's gettable always at an open as well sometimes in the mornings and, and certainly on downwind days on a lot of the holes that, that, that enable you so the open course is, is, a, is a brilliant mix of hold on when it's tough and then go deep when you can uh, I don't think there's another major like that and then the weather probably affects it more than any in any other major and this week the weather forecast is looking pretty windy and pretty tricky which will mean that we should just up the uh, prize up money the spend <laughs> for the fellas I, t- I tell you why I reckon that's true too, Dames. It's a mental thing. I, I remember one of the, the coldest days that I've ever been associated with golf was at a British Open, and I, I, it was a practice round. And I just remember, it, because there's no trees anywhere and, and, and the elements are coming at you, there's just that sense of, oh, God, I'm, I'm at the, the dawn of time here. Like, oh, this is the start of Earth, and, and there's just rain coming at you sideways, and there's no huts to, you know, I guess, hide in or anything. And that, that's, it's just so confronting. Um, whereas other, the other majors, as a general rule, you can hide somewhere or, you know, get down behind a, a banner and there's umbrellas from everyone that can help you. But over there, umbrellas are useless. They just fly away. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a, a very hard test of the elements over there. And it's not like anyone would want to withdraw from the event, is it? Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Phil, because uh, I've got a little... Did you guys hear what Bubba Watson said to, when he was withdrawing from no. playing the Open? No. He, well, he post, so he posted on social media, he put a, um, a press release out, and I'll just, I'll just read it out here for you quickly. Uh, so this is Bubba Watson. I'm disappointed to announce I will not compete at the Open Championship next week due to having direct exposure to someone who was tested positive for COVID-19. While I am vaccinated and have passed the required pre-travel COVID test, not enough time has passed for me to comfortably join the charter flight and risk exposure to the other players and personnel on board. End quote. So, well, well, to me that just sounds like a whole lot of A-grade bullshit, quite frankly, because the guy's, the guy's clearly ha- doesn't have this. He's vaccinated against it and he still can't go. It just seems completely unfair to me and... Apparently, his his testing would everything that he went through would have been okay if it was a PGA Tour 
um, event. But apparently it's different over there for the Open. Well, it didn't quite add up to me because I've tried to find exactly what Bubba was saying there. So I'm going to pose this to you guys. Is it possible that Bubba didn't really want to make the trip? <laughs> and and while, you're, while you're thinking about it, I'll throw some stats at you to sort of back up the leading question, Your Honour. 11 Opens he's been to, 11 Open Championships. Of those, he's missed the cut five times, and he has never finished inside the top 20. And, and the last time he played over there at Sandwich, he was uh, T30. So uh, while I don't think he would want to not turn up to a major, is it fair to say he wasn't quite fighting to get over there? Uh, are you, I don't know. Are you suggesting, yeah. Shooter, that his, the timing of him choosing to visit the COVID ward at his local hospital to then accidentally expose himself to someone with COVID was not such an accidental timing? Um, it's interesting. It's always been interesting of, of the US players who just hate travelling um, but can't just declare... Hate leaving but, the But US. just can't yeah. declare that they just don't... You know, I just don't like travelling. Now, you... To be fair, if he said, I didn't, I just don't want to travel, he would cop a world of whack from everyone saying you overprivilege this, that, and whatever. So it's nice. It's easier to... I mean, everyone else gets to use COVID-19 as an excuse for, for everything, apparently, at the moment, so I can't he. Well, Zach Johnson did, except he actually has it. And Hideki did, except he's actually trying to protect himself for... For yeah. Japan, which is a little bit more important, the um, or not not more important from an Olympic point of view, but I think he either had it or is exposed to it or felt the risk was just too great. But but there's a lot of complaining about the restrictions that the um, the UK government have put on um, COVID on players and needing to to be in bubbles and not being allowed to go out to pubs and not being allowed to go and buy their food and everything else, all to get thirty two thousand fans a day, the people who pay their wage. Yeah, I think I think the players have. Those players who are complaining, and we're going to have to call one of them out who is actually a favourite of ours, but I think he's wrong on this. It's Ricky Fowler who was who was saying pretty much exactly what you said. In fact, I think that's who you're referencing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. But it, it, how they've got that backwards, haven't they? They're, they're thinking, why are we being pushed to in this little bubble so that the fans can come and watch us play? It's... It's just completely backwards. It's, it shows a lack of understanding of who, not only who pays your way, but who keeps the sport running. Mm. And I, I think, like, and this goes for a lot of uh, bigger issues, is that people only see it from their angle. They, they, they struggle, and it takes some you know, maturity to, to actually look outside your, your own bubble and go, why would this be happening? And there's a bit more to it than that. And, and, and it clearly is. So, you know, in one regard, it's just suck it up. Someone said, here's the tournament, these are the rules. You either do it and suck it up or you, you don't. Don't win your bounce. So, so for, for those comments, he'd probably lose a little bit of that prize money paycheck, boys. <laughs> and, and for Ben, speaking of underperforming golfers... <laughs> He might need to make the cut. Just he couldn't make the cut. This is so. This is again part of the issue. Is that I hope he doesn't go on to win now, but I've got to have to come back around to Ben's side of things. I'd love now it if he just, did. I mean, of all the people who had all the promise in the world, and then just got caught up doing commercials, um, it is extraordinary. Have you written him off, Phil? Have you written uh, Ricky you know, off? Put, he does not have room for another badge on his shirt or his golf bag or his hat. He, he looks like an mm. AFL footy coach at a press conference, except all the logos in the banners behind him have all been plastered all over his body. Um, 
But do you think? Do you think a fair bit of it is? I mean, he's given he gives a lot of himself as well to his fans, yeah, to to yeah. charities, to all sorts of things. So, as far as a, as a human goes, he's he's not cri- not Christian. How has he hurt himself? Has he hurt himself by giving too much of himself and not to others, rather than being maybe a little bit more selfish, like some of the others might? Be? I I wonder if his if he had the same management as say Norman did in his day or as Tiger did whereby this is not endorsements will come and the right ones will come but we don't want to have 17 of them because you know there are there are running jokes that every time the great thing about Ricky missing the cut is he can go and film more commercials now that's not questioning him as a human being that's questioning the commercial side which is not driven by the player it's driven by the manager saying we've got to take advantage of your persona because this is your urn um, I don't blame him at all but but Gee, wouldn't it be nice to just be able to go and concentrate? You know, we talk about people choosing their own bags. Go and concentrate on being the best player you can be without... And it was like the, that hair thing that we said we'll never mention again. It was like, just why don't you just concentrate on playing, not on growing your hair? Sorry, that was for another Ben. I just wanted to let him know that I was still with him. So I don't know. Um, from from just excuses, guys, just understand that, as Shane, Shane Lowry said, an open championship without crowds would be a disaster. So let's do whatever it takes um, to have crowds at a great venue where there are greater viewing platforms at, at open championships than any other major anywhere in the world, probably other than Augusta. But in fact, I'd say even including Augusta, with the mounds and, and everything else where they can stand up on top of Jungfrau looking over the, the greens, um, it's just going to be magic. I, I, I just can't wait for it. It is the number one major by miles. To be fair to the players, Phil, um, Sandwich is a, you know, they wanted to, you hear quite a few, few of them saying they wanted to get out and have a few beers and, and enjoy <laughs> enjoy the town. It is a medieval town, you know, full of castles and medieval buildings and it's you know 15th century pubs i mean going in there and ordering an ale from a beer engine that that's cool there's something very cool but not not that i'd see bubba in there it's not really kind of his thing i wouldn't have thought but you can see that they are missing a a, you know a bit of the experience but obviously they've got to look at it in a wider see the wider picture of it and and it's a small price to pay in the long term that's right it's a small price to pay and and let's hope pandemics only come around once every hundred years it is what it is like you know, it. just you know, just ride it out yeah <laughs> like you know the, the rest of the world's doing it a lot tougher in different areas yeah. so yeah and big, for everyone who misses deal. the cut there's a jousting competition on saturday so you know the, yeah. there's a lot to look forward to speaking of some of the older <laughs> older style things phil um you were mentioning something about dress codes and and some of the interesting outfits we see around the region. Well, dress code might have come up a couple of times within things that I've spoken about within podcasts. And, and every now and again, just saying, yeah, be relaxed, be relaxed. But if I need to dress up to go out to dinner somewhere nice, then I'll dress up to go out to dinner. And if they say I've got to wear a jacket, I've got to wear a jacket. Um, and it was interesting. The There was an attempt at some negative commentary um, online um, from a UK I don't even want to call them a media celebrity, a quasi. Um, but just around the fact that, oh, look at these heavily restricted, you know, got to wear a jacket in the clubhouse after 11, a jacket and tie in the clubhouse after 11, and you must wear knee-length high socks. So I then thought about uh, looking at what that actually meant, and they see it as a real badge of honour, that there's a real quirk, because they don't say that the socks have to be majority black or majority white. They just say they've got to be knee-length. 
black socks, both at Prince, at Sinkports, at Royal Sinkports, um, and at Royal St. George's. Um, and, and they see it as a quirk that they love, that people go to the course and say, I'm going to wear shorts, because when else am I ever going to wear long socks with shorts? So celebrate the uniqueness of it. I mean, other than... <laughs> Having survived six years of that at school, Phil, um, no, thank you. But, but celebrate... <laughs> long socks are our enemy. No, but I'm, I understand your point. And it is. Why, why change some, some traditional things or or some um, quirks of a you know of these courses just because it's not up to your fashion these days? I'd, I'd Let love it be. It because I like you, it. You then celebrate start it. to think, what socks would I wear? If, I, if I, I was going there, you'd actually want to wear shorts and then just find an outrageous pair of socks purely to go through that be part of that school I went to just if you had socks that was a win <laughs> <laughs> if you guys could could choose a um, a quirky piece of clothing just a quirky clothing item you know that you had to see the whole field embrace what would it be <laughs> uh, I'd love the plus fours I just <laughs> haven't yeah. seen some of these golfers only a few golfers can ever pull off plus fours and look okay most will, will look ridiculous I look like clowns so I'd love a field of plus fours <laughs> it would either be it would, you know, I like plus fours uh, Hawaii the tournament of champions everyone has to play in Ockies Oh, I thought you were going to say in Hawaiian shirts. No, they've all got to play in Ockies. They've all got to, it's all shorts mandatory. You got to, but they've got to be Ockies. That'd, that'd give Allenby PSD. <laughs> <laughs> Playing in Hawaiian shirts. Is that like PTSD? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was just or going to Photoshop file. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'd, you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see uh, see everyone just with a cane in their hands, as long as they have a caddy, <laughs> and they just throw the club over and then just strut down, swaggering down the fairway, looking pensively into the distance. Well, Sabbath stick. I love it. All right, boys, let's move on to some real stuff. Yeah. Well, there hasn't been a real thing on this podcast There hasn't, so far. and we apologise for that, I think, you'll find, I think you'll find my game changer was pretty good. <laughs> anyway, let's talk a bit about the players that are, that are going to be here. Philly, you want to kick things off? I, I do want to kick things off. And as we go with, with the cans and the can'ts and the just it's an impossibility, like we always do, we'll delve a little bit more into players, but, but sticking with the cans and mm-hmm. the can'ts, I just want to get both mine yep. out of the way. So Justin Thomas is going to win, um, and he's going to win... And he's going to beat Colin Makakawa. Uh, I, I don't even know which one it is anymore. Um, he's going to beat Makakawa by a shot with Morikawa uh, with uh, Morikawa with with Shoffley, in third. And here's why. And it was a comment that Bones made, um, and it might have been at the U.S. Open or one of the events in between the two. He said that Justin. So this Thomas, isn't your opinion. This is Bones's opinion. This is okay. Bones's opinion. That yeah. he said Justin Thomas has more shots in his bag and better control of his ball flight than anyone else on tour. And if ever, given the wind's going to be 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour every day, if ever you need to be in complete control, not only of your flight, but to be able to change flight, depending on what you do, it's him. The only challenge for Justin Thomas will be, can he roll the ball well enough with a putter to start holding a few putts when he needs to? Uh, well, I was pretty keen to have actually a bit of a dabble on, on Jordan Spieth at 17-1, Philly, but... At the risk of you accusing me of doubling down on my boy, I genuinely think that uh, Louis, Louis Oosthuizen can win here, Your Honour. <laughs> I wonder how many years you, you will back Louis. It's probably, it's probably going to be like the next 10 years. But listen to, listen to my explanation, and then if you, if you still think it's a, it's a crazy call, fair enough. But So Tom Lehman, uh, he was a 96, 96 Open champion, 
he called Royal St George's the most unpredictable open venue that he's ever played. Um, I think there was something from uh, Mark Kalkovecchia said something something similar to that as well. Um, there are so many undulations that the less experienced players are going to get really frustrated with the unfairness of the course. You can pipe one down and get spat out into the rough. So for me, I think like a lot of opens, but particularly at Sandwich, an, an older statesman, um, or rather a cooler head, I guess, associated with that sort of older statesman thinking is what's needed to get around Sandwich uh, best. And, and Louis is the coolest there is out there. Nothing seems to phase him. And when you look at the actual course and the layout and, and what's needed, and as you mentioned, Phil, with the wind, we know that straight hitting and supreme putting will be at an absolute premium this week. And Louis has both of those in spades as far as, you know, well, he is the best putter on tour at the moment and he just he just needs to bring it. And most importantly, he's still at great value. He's at 31 to 1. Now, that's ridiculous, Your Honour. Um, it is ridiculous, but there's just a point where we're going to have to bring in a ban on going with the same player. For, no, but he will win this one. For, for every major. And, and just to reinforce the point that an old head must prevail at Royal St. George's. You know, Ben Curtis, um, certainly an old head, um, you know, very expected. He was almost odds-on favourite, I think, at at five hundred to one, so so I think Royal St George's can be it can be punishing like any other open venue, but I think it can be an inordinately fair depending on the wind. So I think the the wind's going to be the critical issue. Hence, uh, anyway, Louis loses by seven. Um, Kipper, uh, um, who's going to win? I'm going with with me stalwart Tony Finau. <clears throat> Oh, see, Phil, you want to put a ban in. If you want to put a ban in, you've got to put no, a ban in no, here. No, no, this is getting no ridiculous. No one backs him. And, uh, and I, I, <laughs> for good reason. No. They save no. their money. That's what odds are for. <sighs> He's got to break through eventually, doesn't he? This is um, not... Tell me that what you've brought to the table is not because all, He's got to no. break through eventually. No, I'm an emotive better and therefore I never win. <laughs> but gee, I'll ride them home. Um, no, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's this. He, he's a, he's an absolute jet. Everyone knows that. But I just reckon he's got to get across the line eventually. He's so good. I mean, his stats are off the chart. He, he's a continual, you know, serial pest around the leaderboard, and he'll have to fall over one day. Is there a stat of his that you think will play out at Sandwich no, at Royal St. George's? Not that I know. <laughs> no. Now, look. In, in all honesty, if I'm being serious for a second, um, he's got. He's got an enormous control of his ball flight. He's got a, a very short swing, which therefore enables him to hit knockdowns easier than most because it's almost his standard swing. Um, he's got the power, which we all know, and he does he does have a, possess a pretty damn good short game. So I don't see it actually as a stretch for him to be even in the conversation. I know he hasn't done that great in the last month and a bit, um, but prior to that, he was basically the hottest player in the world, just not winning. So I, I'm, I'm sticking with my guns here. Um, and you guys can make fun of me for MCs, but but I uh, I just like me Phil Mickelson call and the over fifties. This could come back to bite you, boys. Yeah. Well, he's well, he's at fifty six to one. So yeah, and and that I was going to say, and that might actually be a bit short. I would expect him to be at eighties or ninety, so that that upsets me. Um, but but, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, someone else believes in him. There you go. The sports bet people. Your long shot is your favourite. This is no, this is a turn up for the betting. No, I I, oh, I, I hate betting on favourites uh, or picking favourites because it's it's annoying. So anyway, that's and the one who can't win, can we yeah, do that? Go. Yeah, good old Justin Rose. He 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 just oh, no can't. no no you no no you got to do better than that. Like Why? that would be like saying 
day and Lawson can't win, uh, making his debut from Australia. You cannot go with someone who's not even in the conversation. <laughs> That's why you always. So, so, All right, so here's one. Here's one for you. I'll go through the. Here's the top ten. So we go through the favourites. You have to pick, pick one, one of these. This is um, ridiculous. No. Um, so we've got we've got Ram, we've got Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Xander Shoffley, Rory McIlroy. You're going to just go there. You nah, don't need the rest. Kepka. Okay. Can't win. Can't win because... I don't like the guy. Yeah, okay. What's well, <laughs> <laughs> And he would have lost prize money too, based on your ruling, Shooter, is because Kipper doesn't like the guy. Funnily enough, Kepka, Kepka's mine, Kipper. Kepka can't win. And, and the... Have you got something more than I don't like him? Yes, the reason the reason he can't win is there's three reasons. One is because Kipper said he can't. That's three more than Kipper had. Yeah, yeah. So, except one of mine is his. So Kipper said he can't. Secondly, in terms of controlling the ball flight off the tee, but not only flight, we're talking about accuracy. Is that one of the things that punishes you most heavily at Royal St George's, given that there are no fairways that that sit next to each other, um, is being wide off the tee. Which is why I think JT is going to do well. Which is why I think Morikawa is going to do particularly well. Um, but but Kepka is just prone to five wild drives, and those five wild drives are bogeys and double bogeys. I don't care how much power you've got. So his other thing is that his his ball flight he it's just not flat enough based on zero research. He, I was going to say he's not the highest ball. No, he, but and he's a brute, and he's going to be strong in the wind. And there's all these other. I could convince myself the other way, but no, Kepka, Kepka can't win by. Well, that's how your that's how your standard arguments go, anyway, Phil. Yeah, he could he can't win by two. <laughs> well, for mine, he, the, I'm sort of similar to you, Phil. Although I'm starting to think that Kipper made quite a compelling um, argument around uh, short back swings and and uh, being able to hit punch shots. But I'm going with John Rahm. I'm saying Rahm, he oh. can't win. Now, he's the reigning US Open champion. He's in total control of his game. He now believes he can win majors. He's he's the favourite with the bookmakers. Uh, I've made the call that he could be as good as anyone to ever come out of Spain by career's end. But uh, all the excitement of winning the US Open and then doing all the rounds with the interviews post-victory, all that sort of stuff, that takes a lot of energy out of you. And... We haven't seen a back-to-back champ, major champion for a while, so I'm thinking that's going to make it tricky for him as well. I'm still not certain he'll have total control of his emotions when things get really bad. Even though he showed he showed a great composure at the um, at the U.S. Open, I still think when things get really they're really unfair at uh, at Royal St George's, I think he'll I think he'll erupt. If he does pull it off, it'll be unbelievable. But I just don't think he can. <laughs> You've had the, you've caught the fills. You've actually just argued yourself out of the point. <laughs> I, this might be the only podcast I listen back to because none of it. He's has only made said sense. that nine times. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. Um, yeah, no, nah, he definitely can win. He showed how fatigued he was at the Scottish Open by being in contention straight away, sort of getting a feel for the conditions. Yeah, he's used it all up, Phil. Eventually, you've got to top yourself up with some energy. Yeah, no, that, that's outrageous. Um, from an outsider's point of view, and this will really upset Ben um, because I'm about to nominate an Australian. Oh, oh so am I. Oh, we're going to be the same here. Um, but but I'm saying it first, Herbert. Well, you can't just you, yes, you can't I had jump to get in first. because we're talking about an outsider. The reality is is that Lucas Herbert. Uh, or Lucas, as Elvie likes to call him, is playing well and he's going in with a great run of form. Um, but I'll tell you, there's another Australian who's just been grinding and playing beautifully without any publicity at all. And in fact, I'm not even sure whether anyone or, or anyone in the media knows who he is. Jason Scrivener. 
is 18th in driving accuracy year-to-date on the European Tour when you're in a variety of different conditions. So he knows how to manipulate his ball. He's 32nd in approach and 32nd in putting or 33rd in putting. Um, so he can he can get the ball on the fairway, which is number one, which is the key at Royal St. George's. Um, he can get the ball onto the green, a key at Royal St. George's. And then as soon as the putts start rolling, he's in business. The only potential weakness will be his short game um, as his strike gained um, around the greens is a little on the low side, but I'm not planning on him missing a green for the four rounds. So I would say that Jason <laughs> Scrivener will be will be the best player to Aussie. All right. Well, I'll go. I'll disagree with you and say I think Lucas Herbert, who's uh, currently paying sixty-seven to one, is going to Gee, be long. the long. best outsider. Yeah, absolutely. Considering considering he's shown a real fondness for links layouts, uh, winning the Irish Open as we mentioned earlier, and he finished uh, T four at the Scottish last week with Minwoo Lee winning. He, his game is sound. He's, he's young enough to think he can win. He's obviously shown form on links courses, and his emotions seem to be pretty much in check. He must he must do a lot of work on the mental side of the game. Honestly, watch out for a really strong performance from Herbie this week, boys. Yeah, well, I think also too. Like, when did he win his first event, Herbie? It had to be only last year, wasn't it? COVID year was that his first event? Um, so really, if you think all the interruptions and whatnot, he's, he's really come on strong the last year, and he's probably starting to. Be, believe in himself but the the swing itself I, I just love I love it the um I, I mentioned him a long time ago I think on one of these um <laughs> so no speaking of swings though Kipper did you see the comment that Brandel Chamblee made about Minwoo Lee no I didn't what is it what's he well he's had a, he had said, a thought has he I, I'm not he said I'm not sure that there's a better swing um in, in golf at the moment but not only that he said that he's his position and impact and release is Hogan-esque. Yeah, right. Well, I've got to have a look at um, Minlou's swing. That's under for detail. a compliment. Yeah, that's that's up there. Um, I, I sensed a bit of um, a bit of derision there when Brandel's name came up, Kipper. You're not a fan. I reckon he's one of the, the all-time. I think he's a brilliant analyst of the game. Now that is true. He's a brilliant analyst of the game, but he he has a thought. Every two seconds. He's like that, the old guy at the pub. That's what he's paid for. Exactly right. And he does it on occasion just to stir the pot. And that annoys me. Where, yeah, I know, yeah, that's his job and his role. And he reminds you of um, some different commentators that do that. And then the Australian one's Kane Corns. It drives me nuts. Just says stuff. No, but he's... Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? well, Brandall's Brandall's intellectual. Yeah, well, this is this is the problem. <laughs> and he, did, he dilutes that, dilutes that because he has to be in the media all the time. That, that's his kind of mantra so he has thoughts all the time says and shoots from the hip and then sometimes does analyze and back stuff up very very well so he uh he's a bit of an oxymoron the old brandle so that's why when he had a comment about min lu i didn't i mean um well i didn't know what he said but uh he, he obviously you know was complimentary and it was about the second shot that he hit into 18 in the playoff um where min, and again it was just such a a cool um shot where he hits it and as soon as he's made contact, finishes his swing, and he's just looking down, and uh, Minwoo Lee actually came back, because I think there was some initial conversation of maybe he mishit it, and he said, no, I flushed it. I was saying, get, get, or be good, baby, or something um, like that, because he just knew that it was all over the flagstick, like like every shot that Cam Davis hit in the playoff, <laughs> you know, when he won in the US at, uh, at Rocket, was every shot was all over the flagstick, but Minwoo Lee just said, I, I'm just, it, it, I knew that I'd flushed it. Um, and Chambly said, yeah, it was Hogan-esque, which I think may be about as high a compliment as Brandel Chambly 
can pay but, anyone. Just, just on the Randall thing, I'd love to know this, uh, Shooter. What is your opinion? Do you think the man has uh, statisticians at his side getting all this data and then he has you know brief notes the night before? And, or do you think he's doing that? I think it's probably a combination of both because he seems like someone who is across... Um, you want to know if you're, if you're putting something out as your opinion, yeah. you want to make sure that you've checked the, the facts yourself. But he's also one thing I do know is he's very well read in the golf sphere. He's read every golf book that's ever been produced, can bring out references mm. left, right, and center. Um, I was even listening to him uh, a couple of days ago uh, with Justin Leonard, and they were talking about similar to what, what Phil was talking about earlier about the sacrifices that, that players have had to make uh, to go to open championships. And he said, I'd love it if some of these players who are complaining about it this year actually opened a golf mm. book and read about um, read about the, the guys who come over from the US on a boat. It took take them a month or whatever it is, weeks and weeks to get over there and then and then they'd they'd play a week leading into it, you know, against other um, other locals to get used to the to the course and then they'd play the tournament and then they get it and then they'd have another month or whatever however many how long it took to get back on another boat. Or you know, it was like a two two month expedition to play this tournament for them. Um, and these guys are complaining about not being able to have a beer at the pub. So I, I think I think he actually I think he's quite reasonable. Yeah, he is. He, he absolutely is. He's just I guess it gets on my goat a little bit when he when he you know undoes himself a little bit by having to say something that he probably might not even agree with, but he shoots people down and and I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but no, he's 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 very good at what he does. Um, and just on that point about the sacrifices that they used to have to make to get to the Open. I mean, Hogan only. His first appearance at the Open was in '53. I mean, he'd he'd won a, a reasonable number of tournaments um, to that point, but his first appearance was in '53 when he, you know, went over and cleaned up, and then couldn't get back in time to play the PGA. So, um, you know, there, there is a lot that they need to be thankful for and, and to work through. But it's the iconic, it's the iconic major. Um, and again, this conversation around. Is it the Open or is it the British Open or do we not want to go? <laughs> it's the Open Championship. I, I got a little story on that one. I was over there uh, once and we're at some function, not sure what it was, uh, probably a very important one. Um, but either way, I was talking to someone and I accidentally referenced the, uh, the Open or the British Open as the BO. And whoa, did I hear about that. Um, he just stopped me. He just stopped me in his tracks. He's and like, so you should have. I said, I said, yeah, we're here for the BO. And, uh, and he's like, the and he just, oh, I'd, I'd really struck a chord. From that, that point were, on. Were you chomping on a cheeseburger at the I, time? I probably, had a, jeans? probably had a couple of canapes on the hand, <laughs> a few frothies stucked up so I didn't miss out. And uh, he probably thought, God, this, this guy is a tip rat. Get him out. So, um, yeah, don't call it a BO. Magnificent. That's a, that's a wonderful tale, uh, Kipper. But. I think it's time for one of your more refined tales from the tour. Have you got something British Open related that you can uh, recall from years back? Yeah, we've got a few. Um, sure. well, I think this. Th- no, I think I think uh, this one's probably the piece resistance of of British Open tales. Piece resistance. And I don't know, even know the word. Um, but we uh, we, we played. Yeah, we played behind. Um, Woosnam, when he had the infamous uh, couple of club thing. Now, if I told you this one before... Only five times. We well, love it, though. Should, should I make it six? Tell it again. Um, yeah, well, I guess that the part of this story that you know, listeners may or may not know is that um, 
he sacked his caddy. Or, this story is basically about Ian Wisdom leading or being a shot off the lead of the British Open and then basically getting a two-shot penalty because he had extra clubs in his bag um, on the golf course and, and found it out. So he had to penalise himself and cost him the, um, the Open. But we were playing behind him um, on that day and he... He teed off, but the, the, the first hole at Litham and St. Anne's is a par three, so he, he's pegged an iron off there and didn't realise what was in the bag. Gets to the second hole, and we're on the putting green of the first hole. And I just see this commotion on the second hole, and then I see the driver being helicoptered, thrown into the grasslands next door uh, on the second tee. And I'm like, I said, I said to Bads, what's going on over there? I said, he's just shifted his driver away. I said, he must have hit at one OB, and that was it. He's just said, that's it for the end of the day. Anyway, we didn't know. We, we found out literally three quarters of the, of the way around. Someone whispered in our ear what happened, that there was an extra club in the bag. But poor Miles Burns, um, which is his caddy, he got stitched up really by the coach and on the on the practice fairway. Um, I don't know why Woozy was trying drivers before the round, but he was trying four or five drivers before the round. Uh, Woozy's hit one and, and gone, yep, that's a good one. The... Um, uh, the caddies then got it off him, put it in his bag, and then the coaches had four or five other drivers. So the four or five other drivers, they stood around talking, and then the, the coaches then put an, the driver that he thought was he wanted in the bag as well and walked off and then and gave the other clubs back to the caddy to take to the um, to the locker. So the, he, the, Miles has taken the clubs to the locker and then came back and just didn't look in the bag for two drivers because he thought that was his only one that he, that he had. So he, he kind of got duped, I suppose. Um, and anyway, what ensued over the next few weeks was just brutal. But the, the funniest part about this story was um, after the Open, he had media camped out front of his house, Miles did, and, and you know trying to throw him under a bus and paint him as an alcoholic and all the rest of it. Uh, so catch, trying to catch him going into bars and, and all the rest of it. And it wore Miles down and... We were in uh, Melmo and Copenhagen, and we were catching buses back and forward to the um, to the course. And the first shuttle was at 6:45. And to his credit, little Miles makes that shuttle uh, on his way to the to the course and gets on. And uh, <laughs> he parked himself at the back of the bus, and we get to the course, and he was asleep because he had been on the beers and he had been drunk, and <laughs> and he was still due, due on the tee at about 7:30. <laughs> And uh, anyway, we wake him up, come on, get out, get out. So he gets out and he, and he walks you know, up down the aisle of the bus and the bus driver gets out as well. And we all get out the middle door. There's two doors, obviously, in a long bus. We get out the middle door and that's the last we saw of Miles. And um, he's walked up to the front of the bus but got a bit tired on the way to the front door <laughs> and, and just decided to park it uh, in the second or third seat and, got, and he went to sleep again. Well, the bus driver's gone, got back on looked at all the seats, couldn't see anyone, and dri- dri- driven back to the hotel for the second shuttle, which is due at about 7.45. Anyway, poor old Woozy's, uh, Ian Woosnam is waiting for, for Miles and, and, and tees off without Miles and gets about three or four holes in and, and Miles finally gets back to the course and um, for the second time and uh, runs across the fairway. And he did let him carry the bag uh, for the rest of the round, but that was it. Uh, Miles had, had, <laughs> had to hang up the boots after that. And um, I still can only imagine <laughs> I wasn't there to witness it the only one that would have would be the bus driver but I just imagine waking Miles up back at the hotel he'd done the round trip he'd been an hour and 15 hour and 20 he'd back where he'd come from trying to do the right thing and you just know luck's not on your side is it right you've had two extraordinarily unlucky events and you've just got to pull the pin and so yeah my British Open tale is, is just a blow of uh, Miles Burns and uh, yeah, I felt sorry for him and on that note, we'll bring today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. 
Thank you, Philly and Kipper, for sharing your thoughts on the Open Championship. I hope you all pick a winner. And be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com, follow us on our socials, and remember the Series Link Series 2 of Golf Barons, now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO and Foxtel On Demand. Thanks again for listening, Barons. Get behind my guts for dough payment scheme. And until next time, remember to add some swagger to your swing.